Two days ago, New Year's Day, we, we had a plan to go one place. And you know how you start with a plan A, then you move to plan B, and then you move to plan C, and then you just say, what the heck? <laughs> that was New Year's Day. Yeah. And um, my, oh, uh, we were out, and it was past food time. And how many know that, that sometimes it's much more difficult to function together in unity when everybody's hungry? <laughs> you know, the, the, especially when the blood sugar starts, you know, getting out of whack. And, and so we're talking about, well, we need to stop somewhere and get some food. And there's a lot of diet restrictions in our family. Um, besides wanting to eat healthy, I mean, there's also food sensitivities and who likes what and who needs what. And, um, and I'm going through my head the, all the myriad places around us where we could stop, where we can eat, what would meet everybody's diet and then all of a sudden I was like ah, just something popped into my head out of the blue I know I know where we would go where we can go where everybody will love it we'll absolutely all love to go there and um and so um I'm heading and there there it's just it's my, my daughter's in town by the way those that don't know that my daughter Brenda is here she's in from Georgia she leaves out tomorrow morning and uh oh, working on her master's degree there um, and so uh, they're, they're trying to guess where we're going. They're, they're trying to guess the whole time. And I'm, no, 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 uh, you'll see, you'll see, you'll see. I'm going to make this a surprise. And we pull up in front of Torchy's. And Diane goes, I don't like this place. <laughs> I was like, you don't? She goes, no. She says, it's not that I don't like it. There's not, nothing I can eat here. And, uh, and then she goes, how many years have we been married and you don't know me? <laughs> I was like, well, I thought you liked it. <laughs> and uh, it's because there have been times when we've gone there and we've had good family times and she enjoyed those times. But when you're in that moment when you need the right thing to eat, because one of the things that she will do so often, and I've seen it over and over, is she'll sacrifice what she needs for the rest of the family. And uh, it's so... But you know we've been we've been married for thirty years, and the amazing thing is is how well we we do know each other. You know, um, the 
You know, if you've been married for a while, you can get that look, those little looks, and you don't even have to talk. You know what they mean. Um, you know, there's special things, there's special times, places. And we understand no, where we may not necessarily know all the facts and the figures. But we know the other person. We've gone through really hard times together and cried together and laughed together and planned together and struggled together. And uh, that's intimacy. That's intimacy. So there's a book in the Bible we're going to look at this year. It's, it's the book of Second Peter. Um, it's, uh, it's Peter's last word. He knows that, he even says it in the book. And it was, it was most likely written the end of the 60s A.D., uh, before the fall of the temple in 70 A.D., during the reign of Nero. Nero was emperor, and he was in prison. And Nero, as we know from history, Nero crucified Peter. The tradition says he crucified him upside down. This is because he didn't feel worthy of being crucified right side up the way the Lord was. And so Peter knows it's not long before he's leaving this world. And this book we read as a book, you know, it's, you know, to us, it's like, ooh, this is scripture. And it is. But it's also a very human letter from someone who was intimate with Jesus, who wanted to know that those that he was passing it on to continued in intimacy with him. And so he's writing this letter. It's a letter from his heart. It's a letter that's also addressing the crazy hard issues in the day. You know, they had crazy hard issues in their day too. And there were false teachers. There were people who were preaching a Jesus that wasn't Jesus. There were people who were doing it out of gain. There were people who were doing it out of selfishness and uh, selfish desires. And Peter was concerned. He was concerned that believers not give up, not quit. And he has a message in this book. And that, uh, and we're going to, like I said, over the next however period of time we're going to go through it little by little but today we're just going to talk about a couple of small things an intro he has a message in the book and this is what he wants to know he wants to know do you know Jesus do you know him because if you know him it'll sustain you through everything else um, so I'm going to intro the book, and we're going to get into this a little bit. We're going to see how he asks this question. 
This is the first two verses of, of, the, of the letter. This is a, the second letter of Peter, chapter 1. Oh, by the way, um, I apologize. We, we've had technical difficulties. We were not able to get the PowerPoint up on the computer this morning. So we're just kind of going with it. Um, I hope you have your Bibles with you. If not, you know, maybe, maybe you got one on your phone. Um, we weren't able to get it up on the screen and just for technical difficulties. So um, uh, uh, that's why if you don't see them up there, that's why. So if you turn with me to the book of Second Peter, this is in chapter 1. And this is the, ver- the first two verses. We're going to look at the first two verses for a minute. It says this. It says, Simeon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We'll stop there. That's how he starts. So let's take a minute and just kind of break this down and see what Peter's actually saying here. Peter, Paul calls him the chiefest, you know, the chief apostles. So um, how does he start, though? He starts with Simeon Peter. When he says Simeon, some of your versions will say Simon. Simeon was the Aramaic name. Aramaic was the language they spoke in Judea. They spoke where he grew up. That's his mother tongue. That's the language he would have speak, spoken every day, would have been, would have been Aramaic. And uh, in Greek, Simeon is translated as Simon. So that, that's a lot of times you'll see Simon Peter, because Simeon becomes Simon when you translate it to Greek, so, uh, or transliterate it. But, but Jesus, P- Peter, had an encounter with Jesus. He had an encounter early on. Do you know how Peter learned about Jesus? Jesus' brother met Jesus and went home and said, hey, I met the Messiah. So somebody told Peter, his brother, told him about it, says, you got to come with me. Come, Pete, you got to meet this guy. I actually would have said, come Simeon. He wouldn't have said Pete. And he brings him along. And, um, and so when, when, when Peter meets Jesus in John, check it out. It's the first chapter of John. When he meets him, Jesus looks right at him and says, you are Simon, son of John, but you shall be called Peter. Or Cephas. Cephas is the, the name in Aramaic. Peter is the name, or Petra is the name in Greek. Peter is what we get in English. What it means is rock. You shall be called rock. Okay, now I want us to get a hold of what's going on here. How many know anything about Peter's life? He's like known as one of the impetuous characters in Scripture. He flows back and forth. He's, he's like, jumps out there all excited. And then when, when things start to get overwhelming, he's like, uh-oh, what do I do now? Okay, this is not a picture of a rock. But Jesus sees in him what, what no one else sees, what not even he sees in himself. Jesus speaks to him what, who he is, who he was created to be, who his created person is. He sees in him all the potential that he has. And by the time we get to this letter here, Peter is a rock. Because he knows Jesus. So he starts off right here with these two names that contrast 
the name that he was given, the name Jesus gives him. And then the next thing he says, he says, Simeon Peter, a servant. Now, the Greek word there is doulos, and, and what it's referring to, it's a hard word to translate. It's a combination of servant and slave. Some of, some of yours will say bond servant, uh, some of your texts. What it means is one who is sold out and belongs to and is serving. That's what it means. I am sold out and belong to. So where is Peter starting this whole letter? He's starting from a place of humility. But he gets there. He continues in humility. First he says he's a servant. Then he says, and apostle. Now, I wanna, this is a side note. I'll clear, uh, I want to say this real quick. Um, uh, when it talks about apostles, the scripture talks about three apostles at three levels. The scripture talks about apostles as the original twelve. The original 12 were those who carried authority across the entire body of Christ. When there was a decision made, it was brought to the apostles and the elders to be made across the whole body. These were the ones that, that sat with Jesus, that ate with Jesus, that, that were with him day and night for three and a half years, that witnessed his resurrection. So this is the first level of apostle. The second level of apostle were those who, who were among, who were sent out ones like missionaries, who also witnessed his resurrection. But there's a third level of apostle as well, and that's those functioning very much today like we would call a missionary. And, and, and so what would be the difference? The difference is authority. Where a missionary goes and plants their feet and they raise up, that's the spiritual authority. So a missionary wouldn't just, you know, like walk into the church and say, I have authority over every church kind of thing. So this is the, kind of the difference in, in how we see this. You can see this in 1 Corinthians 15 if you want to pick it up somewhere. But anyway, so why am I making this point? Because Peter was one of the 12. And he starts off in a place of humility. And then he says this. He says, to those who have obtained a faith, no, um, apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Mashiach, Messiah. It's where we get Messiah. It means Messiah. It also means king. The anointed one, the, the exact translation, anointed one. So Jesus, Yeshua, save us, the anointed one. I am a servant, I am apostle of the one who is king, the anointed one. And he says this, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. You see the humility of Peter. He's one of the 12, and yet he's saying, every one of us, our faith that we have is equal standing before Jesus as he had. Do you see yourself as having equal standing in faith as the Apostle Peter? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, the reason why we are all equal is the righteousness we have is the righteousness that is given to us by Jesus Peter's saying, it's not my righteousness. I didn't earn this. I denied him. And he restored me. It's not my righteousness. It's his righteousness. And that same righteousness that I have from him, you have from him. And by the way, it tells us right here that he calls him our God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Uh, he is unequivocally 
connecting Jesus as God. He's telling him our God. The, the word Savior in the, in the Old Testament, if you go back through the Old Testament, the word Savior is a title for God. So he's calling him our God, our Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah, the King. Then he says this, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. How many this morning would like grace and peace multiplied? How many would just like a little grace and peace? Let's start there. Want about a little grace and peace? No. I just want to touch on what grace is just for a minute. We're going to go into this deep. Because I, I, I understood grace wrong for a lot of times. I was always thinking grace was this thing, you know, we say it all the time, God's unmerited favor, right? We'll, we'll, we'll hear that. It's not something we earn. But I was thinking of, it's like, it's that thing I can come into when I fall short and God washes me, cleanses me, and lifts me up. Well, yeah, there is that aspect of grace. That is true. But it's much more. It's literally the power we come into that not only cleanses us and lifts us up with short when, we're, when we fall short, but actually empowers us to live past it, to live through it. It strengthens us. It changes us. That is the grace he's talking about here. And then he says grace and peace. The word peace behind that is shalom. Peace doesn't mean just like a little bit of peace of mind. Right now, I could just use some peace of mind. That would be wonderful. Look, that would be wonderful. That's great. But the word peace in the biblical sense means the whole wholeness of your being. And this is what Peter wants multiplied in your life. Not only that grace so that when we fall, we can get up, but that grace that actually lifts you and empowers you to get through. Not only that peace that says, oh, Lord, give me some peace. But that peace that is the wholeness of all of life itself. And he says, I want that multiplied to you. And he says, that comes how? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Savior. He says, you want that? No, Jesus. No, Jesus. Now, what's fascinating here is we get to the second sentence. In the first sentence, he says, God, uh, uh, he says uh, um, God and Savior Jesus Christ. We get to the second sentence. He's talking about God and Jesus. He's putting them together. It, it, this is literally a Hebrew way of talking. It's a way of saying the Father and the Son are one. That's literally what he's saying. And he's saying, when you know him, when you know him, that's when this becomes multiplied in your life. And this becomes the theme of the entire letter that he writes. Um, uh, uh, just read a couple of uh, short quotes here. Uh, this is a, one, one scholar puts it this way. He says, acknowledgement of God, which is the purpose of the, the, the decretal in the first uh, 3 through 11, continues throughout the document. What is he saying? He says, knowing God, which is the whole purpose of Peter's introduction in the beginning of this, continues through the whole letter. For clients of God must acknowledge not just God's benefactions, but his full role and status as the world's sovereign and judge. 
In other words, if we are going to be followers of the God of heaven, we need to not only acknowledge the blessings he brings in our lives, but we need to acknowledge that he is the sovereign over this world, the judge over this world. It's, an, it's a point which is apparently contested by those who deny this. In other words, Peter's going to address this, there are those denying this. So the author uses, Peter's using this, this uh, in, introduction of honor and knowledge of God at the very beginning to serve as a basic argument for the whole letter. Acknowledging what? The full role and status of our God in heaven. Now, in, in uh, Greek philosophers talked about knowledge all the time. And the Greek philosophers believed that, that knowledge was literally the key to changing people's behavior. But knowledge in their mind was getting more information up here. I may need, uh, I may need more information up here. I do. But how many know that more information up here doesn't actually change what's in here? So in, in the, the Hebrew mindset, when they used the word knowledge, it carried with it Intimacy. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can, or you can write this down and look it up later. Um, this is from the very beginning of the Bible. This is in Genesis 4, verse 1. It says this, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Intimacy. Now, did that mean he knew her in his head? Yeah, he, he absolutely had to know her in his head. But it meant he went beyond knowing up here to having intimacy, union, connection with her. And from that, offspring were born. Do you, and this is Peter's argument. This is what we're going to see throughout this whole letter. He said, listen, when you know him, guess what you do? You multiply. Because you know him. You know him. And he uses this phrase uh, seven times throughout the letter. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, which we just talked about. Um, so grace and peace is multiplied. It begins with relationship. In verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. His divine power, the divine power of our Lord has granted to us a grant, something given here. I'm granting this to you. All things that pertain to life and godliness. How many would like everything you need for life and godliness? Many would like the power of God. And it says how? Through the knowledge of him, through intimacy with God, who has called us to his own glory and excellence. When we know him, we glorify him. When we know him, the virtue of his character comes out. You can't know Jesus and, and not be like him. You can't know him and not be like him. This is uh, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So let me say this. In, 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 uh, from verse 5 down to verse 11... Peter gives these whole list of virtues. It's uh, eight different virtues. He goes, from faith, see if I can remember them. From faith, and they build one on the other. 
They're, they're, they're put in this pattern. He's using a literary technique of the day. And we're going to go through all this later. I'm just introducing it right now. Um, uh, and then when I say later, I mean another day. But add to your faith, virtue, to your virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, uh, steadfastness, to steadfastness, piety, from piety to family affection, family affection to love. And so it starts in faith and ends in love. From faith to love. From faith to love. Okay? But right in the middle of that, he puts knowledge. Do you catch where knowledge is? This is huge. Because most of us think, I start from knowledge. No, you start from faith, which what means what? Jesus is revealed to you. Do you remember, we'll come back to Peter. This is Peter's experience. Peter had knowledge of Jesus. He met him. He, uh, he lived with him. In fact, uh, Jesus told, you know, told him, you know, he, he gets on his boat and teaches, and he tells Peter, hey, go out and drop the nets. So Peter goes, Lord, we fished all night long. There ain't no fish out there. They're not biting. He says, all right, I, I'll do it anyway. And he goes out, and he gets this catch that literally about sinks the boat. And he looks at Jesus and he falls down on his knees and he begins to weep because now he's starting to get a clue of knowing him. Why would this holy man who's obviously living in love for others who's healing people, who's teaching the word of God, who is the very hope we've been looking for for centuries. Why would he bless me like this? One of the keys of knowing Jesus, Peter's talking about, is knowing him in his glory. And it causes him to fall on his knees. I remember, I first... I first came to the Lord when I was 11 years old. And um, I remember that day. It was at the, at the end of the week of, of uh, vacation Bible school. They, my, uh, they took the oldest ones to a crusade. Uh, David Wilkerson was speaking. It's at Baltimore uh, Civic Center. And, um, and that's when he was up in New York. And he was working in, uh, with the gangs up in New York. And God was doing amazing things. And I remember him giving the message of the gospel. And I remember saying... I need that Jesus. I remember going forward and I remember going home and something happened. Something changed inside of me that was different. I remember going to church that next Sunday and I remember reading the the scriptures going, it was alive, it was real in a way it wasn't real before. Uh, um, I didn't understand what was happening and wasn't going on. But can I tell you, um, from that moment, for about the next eight or nine years, I didn't have much more revelation than that. In fact, there was a lot of times, if you'd have known me throughout my teenage years, you'd have said, he's a lot of things, but he ain't a Christian. I piled up sin on top of sin on top of sin. 
remember I was 19 years old and I decided I wanted to, you know, figure out what in the world I wanted to live for. And I was, I mean, I was, I was in, I was on a quest. I wanted to have uh, my life to have some reason that I was existing. I had been engaged and, uh, um, uh, and so that, that didn't work out, and, and I was just figuring, what, why in the world am I here? And I finally made a decision. You know what? I'm going to live for truth. I'm going to find out what truth is, and I'm going to live for truth. And through this process, I ended up in a Bible study. I wasn't going to the Bible study for the Bible study. The guy was talking about something after the Bible study, and was more interested in what he was talking about afterwards. But it's like, hey, you know, I believe in Jesus. I'll go to the Bible study. And it was a Wednesday night, the preacher called people to want to recommit their lives to the Lord. And I was like, yes, I want to recommit my life to the Lord. And I went forward and I said, I need to recommit my life to Jesus. And it didn't last for two weeks. Not two weeks. And I was by myself. It was in my parents' house, my sister's old bedroom. I just was despairing. How in the world am I going to live for the Lord for the rest of my life when I couldn't do it for two weeks? And I fell down on my hands and knees because I was seeing the glory of God. And I was seeing I'm nothing but a weak man. And it was despairing. I just wept. Peter, leave me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. The Lord spoke to my heart and said, can you be with me right now? Do you know this Jesus who wants you with him right now? Do you know him? Can you be with me right now? I just had this peace come over me. I can't explain it. I said, yeah, I, can, I, can, I can't do two weeks, Lord. Don't ask for two weeks. I said that. I could do right now. I remember several months later, as I was contemplating, I realized, my goodness, I called myself a Christian, and I realized all the people I hurt, all the things I had done. The mound was just so heavy. And I'm up late at night, and I'm crying out to God, how can you possibly forgive me? How can you possibly forgive me? In the back of my mind, over and over, all I had was scene after scene after scene of things I had done, things I had said, people I had hurt. And in the back of my mind, I, I, I... Keep having this thought to go through my mind. Psalm 32, Psalm 32, Psalm 32, Psalm 32. And I kept pushing it out, pushing it out. And just feeling the weight of the guilt, of the shame, of the condemnation that I deserved. Finally, I had a thought that said, what would it hurt to actually look at Psalm 32? I'm like, well, I guess it wouldn't hurt anything. So I opened up my Bible. It was um, the NIV Bible. And I just started to read and it said, Blessed blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom Yahweh counts no iniquity. And I dropped my Bible and I just cried. 
because God couldn't have spoken more directly to me had it been an audible voice. Do you know that Jesus? Peter said, leave me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, follow me. Peter said, leave me. Jesus said, follow me. I remember multiple years later, we'd moved here, been here for, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years. I remember looking at my life saying, I remember actually saying this to God. God could never use me in full-time ministry. Could never do it. Leave me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Two months later, he supernaturally, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but two months later, he supernaturally, one voice after the other, till I mean, I was like blown away. I'm calling you full-time in the ministry. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Go ahead and play the clip. This is how you know if you know him. Not believe he died on the cross, not go to church, not do a daily devotion. This is how you know you know him. That on the night you're betrayed, you don't call a friend crying and tell him all about it. Because you've already laid down your life. That's how you know you know him. I'm not talking about serving in a ministry, feeding the hungry, and giving showers to the homeless. That's all good. But you only know that you know him by your love. That's the Bible. It says, he who loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He who loveth not just doesn't know God. Doesn't say you don't lead worship. Doesn't say you don't itinerate speak. Doesn't say you don't go on a mission trip annually. But it does say, if you don't love, there's one reason not to. You don't know him like you could. And this is eternal life that you might. Guess what we've turned eternal life into? A prayer that benefits me instead of a truth that transforms me. Be real careful you don't get seduced by religion in this hour. Be real careful you don't end up in a group with tickled ears. Be sure that every morning you wake up, you be with him. That you don't let church attendance take the place of knowing him. You don't let your service in ministry take the place of knowing him. You don't let your Christian t-shirt, ringtone, screensaver, and bumper sticker take the place of knowing him. This is eternal life. That you might know him. The only true God. And his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent. Which tells me I can't know him without becoming more like him. Because if you don't love, you don't know him. I'm not saying you don't see your need for a Savior and weren't sincere and didn't get your sins forgiven. I'm not saying your name's not in the book of life. But is that really our goal? Our name in the book of life? Or is our goal becoming what he created us to be and becoming what he paid for? 
So how's the world benefit if you have eternal life and you're still angry at your boss and you still shout down your spouse? Somehow we got tricked into preaching a gospel that benefits me without transforming me. Deny yourself. Pick up your... Now you're following Jesus. What's pick up your cross? You never let sin against you produce sin in you. You never repay evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. You, you, you tone down a harsh word with a kind word. You give your shirt and your tunic. You go an extra mile. Because you've already laid down your life. That's called carry your cross. Could you imagine Jesus thinking like we've been taught to think, having the feelings we've been tricked into having through the motives we live by? Do you understand your emotions were not given by God? The ones you grew up with were not from the Lord. Do you get that? People say, well, God gave us emotions. Stop giving him credit for the chaos we grew up with. God didn't make you to be angry, frustrated, jealous, in unforgiveness, antagonized, ticked off, competitive. He didn't make any of that. We became that when Adam got separated from God and we were all born into Adam. So what was created to love became in need of love because it was cut off from the source of love. So we were all born into the need of love. From the time you can remember, you needed support, valued, attention, and people get crushed in that arena. They either become broken and introverted and insecure or hard and a fighter. By a very young age, you're nothing more than what you became through how you responded to what you've been through. And your story becomes your identity, not the truth of why you're here. That's why people cling to their past so tight. Because it's the only place they ever found any sense of, of identity, whether good or bad. It's all they know about them. And in the gospel, you've got to call that dead. You've got to come out from that. You've got to put that off, and you've got to put him on. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. I'm not a little boy that was touched wrong anymore. I'm not a guy that didn't have a daddy that was there for me and had an alcoholic father. I'm not a guy that lost a mother after 40 years of sickness. I'm a born-again, spirit-filled man without issues. I don't have issues. I have the kingdom of God on the inside of me and I finally understand why mercy woke me up this morning because it gave me one more day to shine, to walk in love and live by the Spirit and be more like Him. And if I love Him, I'll live what He says. Yeah? That was, um, for those that don't know, that was a guy named Dan Muller. Highly recommend listening to him. So, as we spend the last few minutes together, close out, we've got a, a series of questions. How do we know if we know him? How do we know if we know him? Listen. We can come up to the altar. I could, I could have walked up to the altar with Diane 30 plus years ago. We could have said vows to one another, and we could have actually become married, put rings on, and actually become married. But if we walked in different directions after that, 
We don't actually know each other. There's no intimacy. This isn't a question of did you come up to the altar one day and say, Jesus, I I submit. I see myself. I see my sins. I see I fall short. I want you in my life. That's not the question I'm asking. I'm asking, do you know him? Because if we're going to make it through this life in the grace and the peace he wants to multiply in our lives, living out the fullness of who we are, We have to know him. If we're going to overcome, overcome, meaning live victoriously through the trials that face us day in, day out. If we're going to have our faith grow, it's not because I'm trying to get to Jesus. It's because I'm living from Jesus. I know him. Because he knows you. Just like he knew Peter that first day. Just like he knew the Samaritan woman when he was sitting next to her. Just like he knew Nathaniel when Nathaniel was under the tree and he hadn't even shown up yet. He knows you. So let me ask you these questions. A lot of these I got right from Dan Muller and his clip that he had there. Here's question number one. Do you love? 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Do you love? Are you becoming more like him, what he created us to be, what he paid for? Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the first among among many brothers. Are we conforming to the image of Christ? When we call him brother, is there a family resemblance? Are we being what he paid for, what he's called us to, and and have put on the new self, Colossians 3.10, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. I love that one because we don't start at the end. We start by knowing him a little bit and knowing him a little more and knowing him a little more, and we don't stop. That's the whole purpose of the book of Peter. Peter says, do these things over and over and over and keep doing these things over and over because when you do, you will grow in knowing him. Knowing him is organic. It's just like knowing a person. We say it all the time. Well, we grew together. Then we grew apart. Well, do the things that cause you to grow together. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. uh, uh, Next question. Are we living for a gospel that benefits us or transforms us? That benefits us or transforms, which one is it? Because if you're living for a gospel, if you know him, you're living for a gospel that transforms you. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Renewing, knowing him. Do we pick up the cross and follow Jesus? Do we pick up the cross and follow Jesus? Do we, here, I love how he put this. Do we let sin against us produce sin in us? Here's another way of putting it. Do we let where someone else isn't decide where we are? Do we take how people act on us and decide where we're going to be? Because if you know Jesus, you know, this is another example I've heard him use before. I love it. 
Why is it if I were to take an orange and squeeze an orange into a glass and I went and tasted it, I'm going to go, oop, that's apple juice. And I, I go, that would be weird, right? That would be strangely weird if I squeezed an orange into a glass and I drank it and tasted apple juice. Well, why is it when they squeeze a Christian, Jesus doesn't come out? Do we know him? Do you tone down a harsh word with a kind word? There's never an excuse not to be kind. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Do you rejoice in exposing sin or do you work to cover those caught in it? 1 Peter 4.8, above all, above everything else, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Brother, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And keep on watch yourself, lest you be tempted. Do we act for the highest and best toward God and others, regardless of cost to self? Greater love has no one than this, John 15, 13, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And I'll close out with this. Peter closes his letter with this verse. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and the day of eternity. You see, when we know him, we grow in him. That, that verse gives me hope. Because when I read all this and I hear all this, I can sit here and go down the list of all the places I fall short in all those things. Well, I've, I've blown it here. I haven't done that. I haven't done this. But I can say this. I know him more now than I did know him before. And as I do that, and to the extent I do that, is, is how I live in this world, in his grace, in his peace, how I also bring glory to him. The Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus. Jesus reveals the Father. We were created to be his imagers. How do we do that? Do you know Jesus? Jesus.